welcome everyone to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I'm your host, Greg Schutz, and this is episode two of the 2022 podcast series where we take a look at the draft eligible prospects and get you ready for the NFL draft. And yes, I know it's only August and the draft isn't until April in Las Vegas, Nevada. But here's the deal. It's August, which means college football season's right around the corner. August 28th, we have a handful of games, and a week after that, Labor Day weekend, that's when the official kickoff of the college football season begins. NFL training camps are already in session. Last episode, I went over my uh, Shoots of Spotlight, Greg's Gamers, whatever you want to call it, the All Shoots team, my guys that I am targeting, that I expect to have an impact at the next level. Went position by position, took a look at all of the guys that I expect to have an impact at some point in their pro career. Who's that going to be this year? That's going to be a big question. And really what I want to do over the course of the next nine podcasts is really get everyone ready for the college football season. Who are the guys that we need to be on the lookout who are draft eligible that we really need to keep a close close eye on? So through these next nine podcasts, we're going to go ahead and break down my top 10. Also take a look at a few other guys as well that you'll need to be paying attention to as you go week to week throughout the college football season. Look, there are a lot of games. There are a ton of games, 130 FBS programs, plus the FCS schools. What games are you going to watch? Which matchups do you need to key in on? Those are some of the things that I want to make sure that I do you know, to get you ready for that draft, uh, you know, ultimately in April. But to do that, all the work starts now. We need to figure out who the guys are going to be that we're going to be talking about next year in January, February, March, and April leading up to that draft. Who are the guys that are going to be the focus of that pre-draft process? We're going to start off with the quarterback position, and we're going to work position by position after that. Offense first, then the defensive side of the football, and that'll lead you right up to the college football season. So the quarterback position, what's interesting is, is if you, if you look at the last few years of this draft, you know, you look at 2018, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson, five quarterbacks taken in round number one. Hadn't seen that before. Made history. Fast forward just a couple of years, and in 2021, we saw five quarterbacks go off the board, not just in round number one, but in the first 15 picks. And so when you look at this year's draft class, what are we going to be seeing here? Are we going to be seeing uh, you know, five quarterbacks taken in round number one? I, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think that's what we're going to be seeing. Uh, you, know, you look at the 2019 draft. We had Kyler Murray uh, first onto the scene there out of, out of OU. He went number one overall. Daniel Jones, the, the veteran there from Duke, foregoes the senior season, enters the draft, top 10 pick there to the Giants. And then Dwayne Haskins, one year under his belt as a starter at Ohio State. He comes off the board number 15 overall. He has a unique situation there with, with Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, possible redemption story there for him, potentially taking over for Big Ben whenever he decides to hang it up. Then you have Burrow, Tua, Justin Herbert come off the board in 2020. And then the wild card of Jordan Love, you know, Green Bay still doesn't know exactly what they have there coming off the board in round one. So I feel like this draft class, there are a lot more question marks than we have surefire first rounders. You know, you look at the 2021 draft, we don't have a Trevor Lawrence, a guy that we can look at and say, this guy, we've been grooming him to be the number one overall pick for the last three years. We don't have a Justin Fields, a guy who, you know, he was the, the one of the top prospects going to Georgia, ends up transferring to Ohio State, the redemption story in 2020, beating Clemson after you know, that heartbreaking loss in the playoff a season before. And then you have Trey Lance, North Dakota State, FCS program. 
you know, the 28 touchdowns and zero interceptions in his redshirt freshman season turned heads. Everybody wanted to see what this kid was going to do. I mean, over 1,100 yards on the ground. COVID hits only one game in 2020 against Central Arkansas. But the, the, the talk, everything that was there, this guy had put together about as perfect a season as you could have. So all that, that talk swirling around him. Then you had the two guys, and this is really what guys teams are going to be looking for now. Who's going to be the next Zach Wilson? Who's going to be the relative unknown who rises up draft boards? And look, Zach Wilson, look, he, he was not an unknown by any means. Uh, you know, 2018, as a freshman, had a fantastic season. Uh, you think about the Idaho Potato Bowl throwing, you know, per, he was perfect in that game. Um, leading the Cougars to victory. 2019, struggled with some injuries. And, uh, you know, the accuracy just wasn't quite there. So you really wanted to see what which quarterback was going to show up. And, man, did this kid ball out in 2020. My favorite quarterback to watch throughout the season. And one of, really one of my favorite players in that entire draft. I hope, uh, you know, big things are to come for him with Robert Sala there in New York with the Jets. And then Mac Jones. You know, you had Tua. Now you've got Mac. Comes right in. Everyone was talking about Bryce Young. Bryce Young didn't even see the field because Mac Jones just supposed to be a transitional quarterback balled out i mean this kid was a heisman finalist and you know yes he didn't have the physical skills that some of these other guys have but man the mental makeup was second to none so as we get to know some of these quarterbacks i know guy you know everyone's going to be comparing him to that last draft class who's going to be the next uh zach wilson who's going to be the next mac jones do we have a trevor lawrence you know or a, a, a trey lance justin fields you know, I really don't think we do. You know, this is a draft class where we know we have two quarterbacks at the top that really have set themselves apart from everybody else. And that's Spencer Rattler out of Oklahoma and Sam Howell out of UNC. After that, there are about five or six quarterbacks who could come off the board next. And, and the question is, you know, could they be first rounders? Sure. And you look around and a lot of people are already mocking five quarterbacks coming off the board in round number one again. But there's so many question marks. There's some inconsistencies to a lot of these guys' games. You really want to see what they're going to do in 2021. So, yes, there are a lot of projections saying, hey, I think this guy is going to have a big year. But realistically, you know, we have to look at this and really look at the, the entire picture and really where, where we're going. And you look at who's going to need a quarterback at the end of this season. Houston, the Texans. You've got uh, Deshaun Watson and the whole saga there. His days as a Texan are numbered. They drafted Davis Mill out of Stanford in the third round, but they're going to be looking for a quarterback. If, if they have Spencer, a chance to take Spencer Rattler or Sam Howell, number one or number two overall, they're going to jump on that chance. Another team is going to be the Washington football team. Ryan Fitzpatrick has come in. He's going to be the guy there. He's got Taylor Heineke backing him up. Kyle Allen as well. You know, you're, you've got a guy in Fitzpatrick who can be a great transitional quarterback, but you're going to need uh, your quarterback of the future. So you know that they're going to be targeting a quarterback early in this draft as well. How about the Detroit Lions? Jared Goff. Ever since that, you know, he had that Super Bowl run with Sean McVay, but really kind of wore out his welcome there in L.A., uh, just really struggled to get things done, and uh, now is in Detroit. And look, you know, he's not the guy... That, uh, that that Detroit drafted by any means. They, they brought him in, and if he doesn't play up to the standard, you could see Detroit looking for a quarterback. How about Carolina? Sam Darnold. 
They make the trade for Darnold. But we haven't seen Sam really step up at the next level. Carolina, they've got a lot of players. They've got, they've got the, the skill position players, so you're expecting Sam Darnold to really step up and ball out. If he doesn't, could this be the year that Matt Rule finally decides to go after a quarterback of his own? And then there's the New York Giants. Daniel Jones. Largely been a disappointment to this point, right? Number six overall pick. Really haven't seen him turn the corner there yet for the Giants. If he has a, a, a poor year, he struggles, we could potentially see the Giants going after a quarterback. The Steelers, I mentioned them, depending on how comfortable they are with Dwayne Haskins, they may bring in a quarterback. Uh, same goes for the Saints. You've got Jameis Winston and, and Taysom Hill. Denver with Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. You know, these are teams that could be on, on the board for a quarterback. But in terms of the situation, in terms of the teams that, that are looking for quarterbacks, it's not like this past season. The Jags, they needed a quarterback desperately, and they got one in Trevor Lawrence. The Jets, they needed a quarterback. They traded away Sam Darnold. They moved on. They let Sam move on. They get Zach Wilson. The 49ers, they had Jimmy G injury-prone, struggled at times there in San Francisco. They get their quarterback of the future. The Bears, they trade up. They get Justin Fields. They finally get a guy who looks like he could be legit. And that whole revolving door of quarterbacks in Chicago may, may finally come to an end. In New England, Cam Newton, that whole experiment hasn't really worked to this point. So yeah, Bill Belichick's going to look for a quarterback. So this year, there aren't as many situations. You're looking for teams that may very well be looking for backups and competition for the next couple of seasons. They may not actually be targeting a first-rounder uh, to ultimately take over the reins right away. So it's really going to be an interesting season as everything plays out. Obviously, that's just looking at things before we even enter the season. A lot can change. A lot can happen. Look, that's Dak Prescott. He doesn't really have a bona fide backup right now. And after the ankle a season ago, two MRIs on that on that arm. You know what, what's the future? What does the future hold for Dak Prescott? You know that's the thing. We don't know what's going to happen going into the 2021 uh, NFL and college football season, for that matter. So, you know, we do need to, to take a look at these quarterbacks, though. Um, you know, again, it's not the same draft class as, as a season go up at the top. You know, and, and so we'll, we'll work through these guys, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about you know who I think is going to be that number three quarterback and some of the guys that are really looking to prove themselves in 2021. So, without further ado. Number one on the list, I already mentioned him before. It's Spencer Rattler, Oklahoma, 6'1", 205, the redshirt sophomore. Come on. This kid, you know, we knew who he was, you know, coming out of out of Arizona. Uh, a kid who, you know, on the same TV show that we saw Jake Fromm and, and Justin Fields. Um, a kid who just, you know, comes in with the swagger and you know, got, got to see action in three games in 2019, backing up uh, Jalen Hurts. Finally takes over the, the, the reins there in 2020. And look, Lincoln Riley, when you think about it, Baker Mayfield had him for three seasons. And you see what he was able to accomplish, number one overall pick. The very next season, Lincoln Riley again, number one overall pick with Kyler Murray, two seasons under his belt. Then he does the unthinkable with Jalen Hurts and takes him from being a guy who was just an athlete playing quarterback to a guy who actually looked like a quarterback under center worthy enough to get a second round pick now you've got spencer rattler and he's had three years with with spencer just imagine what he could do just think about this 
three out of his last four quarterbacks could, and you have the potential to all be first overall picks. I mean, that's just unreal. It's unheard of with what Lincoln Riley's doing there in OU. And you look at a lot of the guys that he's bringing in, Malachi Nelson, 2023 kid out of Los Alamitos, is the latest quarterback. You've got Caleb Williams already on the roster as well. Future is bright for Oklahoma at the quarterback position, no doubt. Spencer Rattler, first game against Missouri State, 14 to 17, 290 yards, four touchdowns. Impressive, right? Then the two losses against K-State and Iowa State. You know, 71% completion percentage, which is what you want to see. 687 yards with six touchdowns and four interceptions. You know, this was a kid who who struggled, you know, wanted to force things. Really, I think he felt the pressure. And when you have a running back like Ramondre, Ramondre Stevenson, who, you know, was suspended for five games and you lose Kennedy Brooks who opted out Trey Sermon transferred so now you've got a freshman in Seth McGowan and you've got TJ Pledger carrying the football that running game what was lacking offensive line wasn't quite up to par you know from OU standards under coach Biedenbaugh uh, at least to start out the season and, and he was working with with newer receivers and guys that just hadn't really been in the system a long time uh and so you could see where he struggled at times to really build that. And I think he felt the pressure to really excel right out of the gate. But you still saw the flash. You still saw the glimpses, the arm strength, the, the ability to, you know, the pocket presence, the ability to keep his eyes down the field while he's under pressure. Uh, I thought he drifted way too often in the pocket. Yeah, and that was one of the things to where, you know, you don't always need to do that. You can stand strong in the pocket and fire a strike. We forced it at times down the football field. Didn't always see the entire field as well. Missed the blitz sometimes and would get sacked. Um, man, the improv skills on this kid, something else. But what he needed really was a reality check. Got benched in that Texas game. They were on the way to losing that game. And he wound up uh, leading his team back to victory in four overtimes. You know, Threw two touchdown passes in that overtime session and a two-point conversion to end up winning that game against Texas. I mean, it was unreal uh, what he was able to accomplish there during that game. Uh, Really needed Lincoln Riley to sit him down. And a lot of people that, you know, it was controversial. A lot of people talked about, why are you sitting a kid? He's a redshirt freshman. You're going to damage the psyche of this kid. Why are you doing this? And I thought it was brilliant because you saw the type of player that this kid was. He's a fighter. He's a guy that wants to go out there and perform. And absolutely, he did that. You know, and the play in four overtimes, you know, moves to his left, up the sideline, finds Drake Stoops coming open, 25-yard touchdown in the fourth overtime, then a sprint out, hits Theo Weiss away from the DB in a tight window for the two-point conversion in four overtimes, 53-45 win over Texas. And, you know, that, that's the thing that's special about this kid, you know, is his ability just to continue to, to work hard and, and make plays. And after that, after that game, you know, think about this. 13 touchdowns, just three interceptions, finishes with a 7-0 record, and really... You know, that, that last game against Florida, firing on all cylinders, had that running game going. Passing attack was was firing on all cylinders. And then the defense, Ronnie Perkins taking that Alex, Alex Grinch defense, elevating it to the next level. You saw crimson and cream everywhere. Spencer Rattler, to me, is going to have a big season. 
This is a kid, you know, I think a lot of the mistakes, he threw into double coverage, uh, up up the seam, didn't always see the field, you know, got baited into to making some throws, um, you know, needs to be, needs to see the entire field. But, you know, again, the improvisational skills, you know, a kid that's going to roll, roll right, then back to the left, then puts the ball to the outside where only his receiver can, can get the football. You know, he'll roll out, he'll be directing traffic to get the receiver to an open space and then hits him uh, right between the, the, the numbers. You know, a guy understands ball placement, understands where the defense is, where the leverage needs to be. You know, he's going to throw low when he needs to to protect his receiver. Very intelligent quarterback, you know, in, in a lot of those plays. And you saw it, you know, in the, in the, in the Kansas game, you know, that injury on, on the hip. And he battled through that. You know, this kid's a gamer. He's going to fight, you know, fight through pain. Um, again, with the pocket presence, you know, subtle movements in the pocket to slide by time. And like I said, he, he likes to drift. You know, he's going to drift away from uh, defenders. A lot of times he's doing it when he doesn't need to. He needs to stand strong in the pocket. Uh, you know, and when he does break the pocket, break contain, and, uh, you know, outside the confines of the offense, I think that's really when he's at his best. You know, he's not the biggest kid by any means. He's only 6'1", 205 pounds, um, you know, but you get him out on the move and, and this kid is going to be dynamite, you know, and, you know, the, the throwing motion, it's effortless, uh, just a flick of the wrist and the ball's going 40, 50 yards down the field. Um, you know, I just want to make sure that he sees the entire field. want to make sure that he cuts down on some of the mistakes, you know, throwing into, you know, trusting the, that arm a little bit too much. Um, but look, he, he's coming in as a, as a third-year sophomore. Uh, big things are ahead for OU with Spencer Rattler at the helm. Sam Howell, North Carolina, 6'1", 225 pounds, the junior. Everyone talking about this kid uh, after his freshman season, 2019 ACC Rookie of the Year, 3,641 yards, an ACC freshman record. Think of all the quarterbacks that have come through the ACC, and it's Sam Howell who was the, the the guy in terms of that freshman record. Not Trevor Lawrence, not Deshaun Watson. It's Sam Howell. 25 straight games with a touchdown. Every game at UNC, uh, including, look, this past season, 550 yards, six touchdowns against Wake Forest. You know, this is a kid who dropped some weight. You know, he, he had a huge season, you know, 38 touchdowns, seven interceptions, completed, you know, about 61.5% of his passes. But, you know, he really needed to dedicate himself. You know, he dropped 10 pounds, was a little bit lighter, and you could see that with his movement, you know, his ability, uh, you know, avoided three three defenders in the backfield uh, in one game, able to pull it and take off for a 10-yard gain to set up first and goal from the five-yard line. Uh, you know, just the, the effortless uh, ability in that in the pocket. And he's one of those guys who you look at him and he's kind of unassuming. You don't expect him to be uh, that athletic. But, man, this is a guy, he, he's going to break contain. You know, he has that threat to run, makes teams think about him uh, when, he, when he's on the move because he can pull and, and take off. Um, you know, a, a kid who has you know, just 181 yards on the ground in his career, but still a guy who, you know, it's deceptive speed. Um, the ar- arm strength, look, you know, the touchdown pass that he threw to, to Deami Brown on a go route, just drops the ball in over the shoulder, can be very accurate. But here's another guy who, he holds on to the ball too long because I don't think he always looks to take what the defense gives him. He's looking for the big play. You know, at one point, you know, we had, uh, you know, 
15, 20 passes over 30 plus yards. And look, when you have Deami Brown on one side, Daz Newsom on the other, um, you're going to want to sit there and throw the football down the field uh, early and often. Um, but you know, that said, uh, you know, holding on to the football way too long is going to get you in trouble. You know, you're going to throw late, sometimes across your body. Uh, you're, you're also going to take some sacks, some ill-advised uh, sacks as well. So this is a guy who doesn't always set his feet. He's going to sit there. He's going to be moving throughout the pocket, and uh, the ball is going to sail on him at times. Doesn't always drive into the throw. Doesn't always step to his target either. If you step in in the bucket, you know that also opens up things and ends up uh, sailing the football as well. But as I mentioned, the arm strength, you know, his ability to drive the football outside the numbers to the wide side to his receivers. Uh, not too many quarterbacks can make those types of throws. You know, this is a guy who uh, you know, is dynamic I'd say he's a gunslinger you, know, you look at that Florida State game uh, you know looking to throw the swing pass to the running back didn't see Joshua Kando uh, drop in uh, and the defensive end undercuts the route 25 yard pick six you know and that's one of the things to where you know like Spencer Rattler being able to see the entire field not trying to do too much not trying to fit the ball into too tight a window don't trust your arm so much sometimes you got to take what the defense gives you and that's what I loved about Mac Jones he understood some of his limitations and he just took what the defense gave him, and he relied on you know that that preparation and the ball placement and his ability to throw his receivers open. And that is one of the things that Spencer Rattler does very well. Is he's going to throw that receiver open. He's going to put the ball where only his receiver can make a play on it. He also does a really good job with a lot of those 50-50 balls, putting the ball where his receiver can make a play, back shoulder throws on the money. Um, and so those are some of the things that I really love about Spencer Rattler. And you look at, at Sam Howell this past season, 68.1% of his passes completed, over 3,500 yards. Again, 30 touchdowns, seven interceptions on the year. Um, but a guy who, um, you know, he's he's somebody who just, he needs to be be a little bit more calm in the pocket, a little bit, you know, um, allow himself to, to process things and not always try to go for that home run. You know, the home runs are going to be there. You know, but if a, if a fighter were, were to, to try to knock somebody out with, with every single punch, you know, you're not going to get anywhere. You know, uh, that said, uh, I love his eye discipline. He does a great job holding the safety and then coming you know, to the left side, coming back to the right side towards the sideline, um, allowing his receiver to go to go get the football. Uh, you know, and that's one of the things that I do like about him is, is a lot of times he's going to put the ball where only his receiver can make a play. Uh, I, I do want to see him, you know, with some touch on on some of his posts. Um, there were some where you know he needed to to back off the velocity, and a lot of times those you know it lacks some touch, more of a laser, more of trying to put it on him. Um, as opposed to allowing the receiver to run to a spot and catch the football in stride. There are times where you're going to want to put the football on your man and not try to make the perfect pass over the top. But that you know those aren't always those situations. And so being able to understand when he needs to dial it back and when he when he should be rifling it into his guy. You know, so those are some of the things that I'm going to be looking for out of Sam Howell. But look, you know, Sam Howell in, in two seasons. You know, 7,200 yards, completing over 64% of his passes, 68 touchdowns to just 14 interceptions. A guy who is polished um, as a you know, as a junior coming into into his third season there as the starter for the Tar Heels. Expect big things. And I think they're going to challenge Clemson. You know, and DJ Uyangalale. Um, 
Defense is going to be a, a question mark there for the Tar Heels. Also, with the running game, is Ty Chandler going to be the guy to elevate things there with that running game? But you know, I think Sam Sam Howell, you know, he he's missing a couple of his receivers, but you know, he'll break in some guys. And uh, you know, Antoine Green expecting big things from him as well. My number three quarterback, and this is the guy who I think is, you know, he's not coming out of nowhere. I think a lot of people within the, the draft community and really college football at large know this guy, but he's still one of those those unknowns and somebody who I think is going to elevate his game much like Zach Wilson did. And that's Carson Strong out of Nevada. You know, he's a group of five guy coming out of the Mountain West. Um, you know, and really, you know, that, that, that Pacific... Um, Northwest kind of area, um, you know, playing out of Nevada. Uh, 6'4", 215 pounds, the junior. Look, as a redshirt freshman comes in um, with the Wolf Pack, over 2,300 yards, 11 touchdowns, seven interceptions, got himself into trouble a little bit, but had a two and three record as a, uh, uh, as a sophomore. Um, let's see. I'm sorry, as a, uh, as a freshman, as a retro freshman. Three games under 60%, three touchdowns, six interceptions. Wound up finishing the season 65.5% of his passes completed, eight touchdowns and one interception. So when you look at the no- overall numbers for this kid in his retro freshman season, you look at it and you're like, wow, you know, the numbers don't really jump off the charts for you, but it's really what he did to close out the season. And that was one of the things that really springboarded him into 2020. And look, you know, the Wolfpack, they did get nine games in. Um, and, you know, to this point, he's thrown touchdown in 14 straight, have multi-touchdowns in all but the San Jose State game. Uh, seven games, over 65% completion percentage. Uh, three games, over 300 yards passing. Two games with 400 yards passing. And look, you know, 70.1% of his passes completed, 27 touchdowns, just four interceptions. So when you look at it, he you know he threw 355 passes, just four interceptions. You know when you talk about that in terms of an interception ratio, that's 1.12 percent. Ridiculous. You know th- this is a kid who can make all the, the the throws that are required at the next level. What does that mean? You know, this is a kid who you know when a guy runs a go route, he's going to put you know, make sure that his receiver is going to be able to to run under the football and make a play you know the back shoulder throws he's gonna put the ball where only his receiver can get it uh you know on some of those in-breaking routes making sure that he protects his guy throws it low allowing him to to make the play on the football and not get lit up by the safety um you know and look he's got some experienced receivers you know romeo dubs the the talented wide out coming back for one more season there in reno and uh, the, the tight end, Cole Turner, converted wide receiver. You know, he's a big kid and uh, a guy who you know uses that big body to his advantage. And what I love about Carson Strong is he understands the strengths of his of his guys. Cole Turner, I'm going to put the ball up where only he can he can go get it. I'm going to put the ball out in front of him. I'm not going to make this guy have to reach down. I mean, this kid is six you know six five six six. I'm not going to make him reach down. You know, if, if I do need to throw down because you know a linebacker might be looking or a safety might be looking to light him up, that's one thing. But if he's on the move, I'm not going to throw it on his back hip, make him reach down for the football, lose his momentum. I'm going to put the ball out in front of him, and that's one of the things that I definitely appreciate for him. Uh, you know, back shoulder fades all day long with both of those guys. Um, you know, shows an ability to climb the pocket. You know, I, I like the pocket presence. I like the feet as well. Uh, 
sets those feet and, and, and lets the ball fly. Um, but the deep ball accuracy is really what I worry about. You know, uh, against San Jose State, you know, a game that uh, you know, I, I mentioned uh, was the one game where he didn't have a multi-touchdown game. Um, you know, had a, had a receiver open. You know, and aired it out over 42 yards in the air on a post and overthrew his receiver, his open receiver, by three yards. Uh, you know, had a third and six in that same game. Ball sailed, you know, put it on a line to the wide side and just sailed it over his receiver's head. Uh, you know, putting the ball high on the outside uh, on a stop route. Defensive back able to go up and, and high point the football, knock it away. So it's one of those things to where that deep ball accuracy or those throws to the wide side, those longer throws, is where he he struggles with some of his accuracy. The short, you know, it's intermediate. This guy's money. He, he's on, you know, he, he's able to make some of those throws. He can put the ball outside the numbers to the wide side, drive it on the line. Um, you know, you did see that even in the San Jose State game, putting it on the line for you know 10 to 15 yards. He just needs to do it on a consistent basis. And that's really the biggest thing for me with, with, with Carson Strong. He is the, the prototypical pocket passer. He's not going to be a guy that's going to beat you with his legs. Um, you know, look, uh, you know, this is a guy, when you talk about prototypical po- pocket passer, there aren't too many quarterbacks this day and age when we look at their career rushing stats and we talk about negative stats. But negative 97 yards, that's what he's put up in, in three seasons there for, for Nevada. He did sit out... Uh, uh, 2018 after playing just one game um, but look you know I, I think Carson Strong you, know, you look at that the 70.1% of his passes a guy who was just money uh, very accurate you know and a kid who's just supremely confident and I'm looking for big things I, I look at Jay Norvell and what he's doing there with Nevada um, I, I like what they're doing on both sides of the football they're a team to watch in the Mountain West if you get a chance to watch Nevada do it. You're going to love what they do on offense. I think this is an improving defense as well. Look, Jay Norvell, he, he studied under Bob Stoops there at OU before he got his own job um, with the Wolfpack. And I think he's doing some really good things. You know, you'll see some of the same concepts that you saw from him uh, when he was coaching. I believe he was coaching the receivers, uh, working with Bob and Mike Stoops there at OU. And uh, now he's got a really good thing going on the West Coast. So my number four quarterback I've gone back and forth with this, but it's Malik Willis out of Liberty. 6'1", 215. Now, this was the Auburn transfer going into the season in 2020. Hadn't started a game since his high school senior season in 2016. Uh, So, you know, there were big question marks about what would he really be? You know, we did see him, you know, he played in 12 games for Auburn in his first two seasons there. Um, you know, really carried the ball 28 times, uh, which was really more than the, the 14 pass attempts that we actually got to see him throw. Uh, ultimately transfers to Liberty. You know, gets to play for Hugh Freeze. And I'll tell you what, this is a kid who really jumped on everybody's radar. Uh, completed 64, over 64% of his passes, 2,250 yards, 20 touchdowns, just six interceptions. And uh, nearly 1,000 yards, 944 yards, 14 touchdowns, average 6.7 yards per carry. When you see some of those numbers, you start thinking about you know, Kyler Murray or, or Trey Lance. And look, you know, he's 6'1", 215. He's probably more like a 225, 230 type of guy. He just lo- he looks solid. He looks um, very powerfully built. And you see that with the arm strength. Flick of the wrist and this kid can just launch it, you know, 40-plus yards. Um, you know, when I look at, at what this kid was, was able to do, 
um, you know, against Southern Miss. 24-31, which is over 77% completion percentage. 345 yards, six touchdowns, no interceptions, uh, just demolished Southern Miss. But then going up against an ACC school like NC State, completed just 13 of 32 passes, which is 40.6%. 172 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions. You know, and that's the thing. When you look at Liberty and you're talking about the season, you have to kind of put some of it into context as well in terms of the, the schedule that Liberty was playing. Um, you know, 2020 was a unique season um, because we saw a lot of teams that were playing in conference only, didn't really expand outside things. Um, you know, and that was a thing that you saw most of those games. Uh, you know, he, he did get to play against Syracuse, got to play Virginia Tech, and that was really the game that put him on the map. You know, NC State was the one game that he struggled, uh, you know, and they lost 15-14 in that game. Uh, but Virginia Tech, you know, I, I thought that was a, a very explosive game there for Malik Willis and really kind of turned people's heads, you know, and really uh, it helped put Liberty on the map. You know, people started talking about the Flames. I think Antonio Gandy Golden started getting things going. He and Buckshot Calvert um, there for, for a time. But Malik Willis, you know, you're, you've got a guy who could be a potential Heisman candidate. Uh, you know, for the Flames, and that's just something that you didn't really talk about with with that program. So I think he and Hugh Freeze really putting that program on the map. Um, and, and obviously, you know, when you step in, you're going to be playing, um, you know, a team like Virginia Tech. And, and in that game, you know, he completed two-thirds of his passes, 217 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, also on the ground, 19 carries, 108 yards, and a score, and that was one of three games where he went over 100 yards. Uh, one of those as well was the, uh, you know, the the win in the bowl game over Coastal Carolina where he, he just went crazy, 137 yards on the ground and four touchdowns. You know, he did throw a couple of picks, only threw for 210 yards, and, and here's the thing, he only you know, threw for over 300 yards in just two games, and that was that Southern Miss game, and had another one against Western Carolina, uh, and then Florida International, uh, threw for 285 yards, but you know Syracuse held him to just 182 yards. Virginia Tech 217 yards, and a lot of what it, the damage that was done was with his legs. I think he's still developing as a passer, and that's really the biggest thing that you know I think excites a lot of people because he has a lot of the traits. But I'm looking for him to really take that next step as a passer, and that was one of the things you know I, I think about with with Dak Prescott. And, you know, being a guy who was just, you know, he was an athlete there at Mississippi State. And I saw that transition from his junior to senior season where he turned into a quarterback who saw the entire field, was making all the throws, anticipating throws. You know, we talk about guys who are anticipating throws and Carson Strong, Sam Howell, Spencer Rattler. Those are guys who throw their receivers open. And that was one of the things that I didn't always see with Malik Willis. Um, you know, you did see him you know, with some of his back placement on, on the back shoulder throws, um, you know, being able to, uh, to put it on his receiver, um, but he struggled at times. You know, I, I think that was one of the things that uh, you wanted to see more of out of him was that accuracy um, on a consistent basis. But when it was on, when you saw him, you know, when, when he was dialed in, 
this guy can make all the you know all those throws. You know, and the back shoulder especially, it seemed like he was putting the ball away from the defender where only his receiver can make a play, and that was extending drives, extended drives for the Flames. And uh, then you get the athleticism, and you allow him to make plays in the open field with those with his feet. That was one of the things that. Uh, I, I thought was special at times. He needs to watch the ball security, ha- you know, carrying the ball one-handed away from his body. Um, that, you know, that can definitely get him into trouble at times. Uh, had a couple of fumbles against Western Kentucky. You know, very careless with the football. Um, potential is there. I think a big season could see his his draft stock rise. But you know, if he play, you know, if ultimately he, it's the same season that we saw in 2020, to me, I'm not taking him in round one. You know, I may take a flyer on him in round three, maybe a round four pick. Um, but I, I don't know that I want to take him in round one. You know, and that's the same thing with, with Carson Strong. You know, if he, It's going to be a huge season for him as well because he has the ability to elevate himself into the upper half of that first round, much like Zach Wilson did. But the consistency as well, if, if, he, uh, if he regresses, then you could potentially see that draft stock slide into a, a mid-day two pick. The, the difference is, is I love the the consistent um, accuracy there out of Carson Strong more so than, than Malik Willis right now. Uh, number five, Matt Corral out of Mississippi, 6'1", 205, another guy who's a, a, a gunslinger. You know, another junior um, had six games with no interceptions. You know, and, and really, you know, he completed 70.9% of his passes with Lane Kiffin, uh, over 3,300 yards, 29 touchdowns, but 14 interceptions. That's just not going to cut it. You know, he's got to cut down on the mistakes there. Again, a gunslinger, a guy who's just going to try to take, take chances, and sometimes he swings and misses. You know, over 500 yards on the ground, four touchdowns, really a good athlete. Likes to get outside the pocket. And I mentioned those six games with zero interceptions, but then when he goes up against Arkansas and LSU, Arkansas completed just 52.6% of his passes, 200 yards, two touchdowns, six interceptions. And then against LSU, 55, 55% of his, his passes completed, 251 yards, three touchdowns, five interceptions. So when you think about it, those 14 interceptions, 11 of them were in just two freaking games. And then he follows that up. You know, this is a, a program that had a one in four record takes on Vanderbilt and, and South Carolina has seven total incompletions in those two wins completes you know uh, for 925 yards 10 touchdowns zero interceptions who is this guy you know, which which is it is it the the guy who could be supremely confident very accurate and a guy who is just going to run that Lane Kiffin offense and propel that that program to the next level in the SEC? Or is he a guy who's gonna sit there and make a lot of mistakes in the pocket, try to, to, to fit the ball into too tight of a window, that, that trusting that arm a little bit too much, that swagger, you know, and really trying to make plays that aren't there? You know, who is he? That, that's really gonna be the big question. Um, you know, but he, he was fun to watch against Alabama uh, on a bootleg, outran Will Anderson. Um, you know, in, in the backfield, ended up picking up 14 yards. Um, loved what he did with, with Kenny Yaboa on this cross, uh, 68-yard touchdown. Hits him in stride. Um, you know, there was another perfect throw over the shoulder to Elijah Moore up the sideline, just off his hands. Um, 
You know, you watched him roll away from pressure to his left, uh, throws across the middle, low throw to Elijah Moore for 26 yards, putting the ball again. If he's going to throw the ball over the middle, safeties are going to be there, throwing it low, protecting his receiver. You want to be able to see that. Um, you know, second and 22, slips off a defender, able to hit more down the field, gets another first down. Um, play action pass. You know, that's really one of the things that you that you love to see from him. Play action passes, getting outside the pocket, eyes down the field, let him improv a little bit. If nobody's open, he can pull it and run because he does have that athleticism. And look, Will Anderson's a pretty quick dude, and, and Matt Corral was able to escape and get away from him. Uh, back shoulder touch, you know, throwing the ball to a tight end. Uh, uh, again, you know, the tight end's not always going to be the most flexible guy. Put the ball where only he can make a play on the ball, able to do that. Uh, look, you know, against Alabama, you know, they lost 63 48. You know, the, the defense really struggled to uh, to shut down uh, Mac Jones. That was obvious. Uh, but, you know, 22 of 29, 380 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. So, again, this is a guy who has the potential to be a first round pick. You know, I, I think, you know, he's one of the guys that I don't think everybody's talking about because he also has games where he just lays a complete egg. Arkansas and LSU, you're throwing for just 451 total yards, five touchdowns, 11 interceptions. You know, that's just not going to cut. It's not going to get it done. And when someone looks at the at the uh, the byline or you look at, at his stats and the stat line, 29 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, you're going to look at that and immediately say, man, ugh. you know, he's got to cut down on the mistakes. But when you start thinking about it in the context, two games, you know, 11 out of those 14 in just two games. You know, you look at the yards per attempt, 10.2. This is a guy who loves to push the football down the field. He's a guy who's going to be a sleeper for me. You know, and he could potentially move into that top three consideration. He's the guy to me, I just want to be able to see him play consistently. Can he be consistent? That's the big question. That's really the big question for a lot of these quarterbacks. How consistent are we going to be? Look at USC. Keaton Slovis, 6'2", 200 pounds at a a USC, the junior. We knew who he he was uh, coming in. He was a three-star prospect, but his quarterback coach was Kurt Warner in high school. And a guy who I don't think was really expecting to see the field because JT Daniels was going to be the guy. And uh, end of the first half against Fresno State, Rush comes up the middle. JT Daniels tears his knee, rest is history. Keaton Slovis takes over there for SC. And yes, there were some mistakes at, as you know as a freshman, you know, through nine interceptions. But look, over 3,500 yards, completed 71.9% of his passes, 30 touchdowns. This is a kid who was he was on the money. Two of, two of his four losses as a freshman, uh, three interception games against BYU and Oregon. Had three games with 400 yards, one with 500 yards. And in those last three games of the season, he completed over 78% of his passes, 1,181 yards, 10 touchdowns, and zero interceptions. Threw for 515 yards against UCLA. He did have the concussion against Utah. And that was you know, a concern there. Obviously, then you had the shoulder injury against Iowa. You know, looking to throw, and A.J. Epinesa gets by Austin Jackson, 
hits that arm and you know, he was having issues with that shoulder and he looked like a different quarterback in 2020. You know, he really did. You know, the arm strength just didn't seem to be there. You know, I, I thought that there were some throws that he was sailing that a lot of times he was driving the football and, and hitting the receiver. Um, 2020 was a weird year for the Trojans, man. Um, you know, he still completed 67% of his passes, threw for over 1,900 yards in six games, seven, 17 touchdowns with seven interceptions. And on the interceptions, he didn't see the entire field. I mean, you watch that Oregon game, uh, you know, didn't see defenders sitting on routes, throwing late, balls being picked off. But here's the thing with USC, and you look at Graham Harrell. Graham Harrell runs that, uh, that air raid offense, and he is so stubborn as an offensive coordinator. You look at short yardage, you look at the running backs, you know, and, and they're getting just lit up. Why? Because they're not even playing under center. They're not having a quarterback sneak or anything like that. They're playing from the shotgun, and the running backs are getting drilled. Very rarely did you see USC complete, uh, you know, or convert on a short yardage play or a fourth down because they weren't doing what everybody else was doing. I'm going to stay out in the shotgun formation. It's just not what we do. Really? It's not working. And then everyone figured out how to beat them. You play zone. Utah, you know, when he had that concussion, Utah was supremely confident in their secondary. They had um, you know, Jalen Johnson, and Julian Blackman, Terrell Burgess, all guys that are playing at the next level, right? What happens? Michael Pittman just absolutely torched them. They brought in Matt Fink, who was a third-string quarterback, and USC puts it on Utah. They wind up winning the game. But Washington, Oregon, these other teams, they figured it out. We're going to just go ahead and, and play zone, rush three, drop eight, and see if you can beat us that way. And the thing with it was, Graham Harrell was looking to attack the sideline. Middle was wide open. I mean, in that zone, there were holes left and right. And thank goodness for Amon Ross St. Brown, who knew how to get open. He was finding some of those holes when plays would break down. He'd find a hole in the zone, usually over the middle of the field, and that's when things would work. And the crazy thing was, was USC just continued to win football games. They continued to win despite just some of the, the questionable play, play calling and some of the things that were happening. They still found a way to win. And what's crazy is, is Keaton Slopes was a completely different player in the fourth quarter. Suddenly, he wasn't forcing the ball because he, he had to make plays. And... He was just letting it rip. He was struggling with that offense because he had to be patient. And the thing was that offensive line, pretty porous. They were allowing a lot of pressure on him. So he's waiting for guys to get open. Guys were attacking the, the perimeter and that zone, they're just sitting down and he can't find anybody. He panics, he ends up rushing a throw and either he's sailing the ball or he's throwing it to a guy that he didn't see because he's just trying to get rid of the football and see somebody who might be open and gets the ball there. Then all of a sudden the fourth quarter hits and man, you've got a different quarterback. He He's just leading the team down and, and game after game, you know, this was a guy who was making plays at the end of the game and it, it made you shake your head. You know, just how in the world is this team continuing 
to to win football games, but Keaton Slovis, that's the thing. You know, the accuracy, his ability to, to throw his receivers open, uh, putting the ball on the money, making throws that very few quarterbacks can make. And I think that's one of the things that he still has. The question is going to be, are we going to see a 20, uh, 20, uh, 19 quarterback that, that came in as that, that retro, I'm sorry, as a true freshman? Or are we going to see the 2020 quarterback who really struggled struggled to get things going. A lot of it, I think, is going to depend on what Graham Harrell is doing with the play calling. Is he going to take what the defense actually gives him? Because look at what LSU did again, you know, with, with Mississippi State there in the SEC. They ran man-to-man, and it looked like K.J. Costello and Mike Leach, they were going to just kill the SEC with that offense. What does every other defensive coordinator do to Mike Leach? They run a zone. Mike Leach struggles after that. Graham Harrell's a Mike Leach disciple. Guess what? You're going to have to change things up. You're going to have to take what the defense gives you. You're going to have to attack the middle of the field. Allow your receivers to make plays. You've got a stable of receivers. Allow Keaton Slovis to be able to do that. And that's one of the things that that you have to see. This is a kid who isn't, you know, he's not afraid to stand in the pocket and let it rip and take a hit if he needs to. And this is a guy who has that subtle movement in the pocket. You know, a guy who, you know, it doesn't take much for him to to step up and sidestep the rush and you know keep his eyes down the field, set his feet and fire and hit his receiver down the field. Um, you know, that was one of the things you, you watched him. You know, the the back shoulder throws, putting the ball on the money to his receivers, but a lot of times that was late in the game. Earlier in the game, you'd see him putting the ball. Um, you know, on a back shoulder throw into triple coverage and the ball kind of sails on him or it kind of hung up in the air and sometimes his receivers had to bail you know, bail him out. But man, when he was putting the ball, leading the team down on, on these game-winning drives, uh, finding tight windows over the middle, putting the ball on the money, um, you know, but you wonder about that shoulder. That's really the biggest thing and the biggest concern that I have for him is it, are we going to see you know, a guy who can just really let the ball go? Or are we going to see those wobblers? Are we going to see the, you know, the, the balls that just would hang up because he can't drive the ball to the wide side of the field? He can't drive the ball outside the numbers. If we see that Keaton Slovis, not only is USC going to be in trouble and Clay Helton's probably going to get fired, but Keaton Slovis, you know, that draft stock is going to take a hit. So I'm really hopeful that he steps up and has a big, big season. Um, you know, and I really hope that that shoulders shoulders in good shape. So the next quarterback on the list, you know, you have to go to JT Daniels. You know, I mean, from one USC Trojan to another, right? I mean, he's got the SC tattooed on him, uh, but he transfers to Georgia. I mean, obviously, after the performance Keaton Slovis had in 2019, you know, JT Daniels. Look, you know, I think it made sense for him to go ahead and transfer out. What, he was putting together a hell of a first half there against Fresno State, though. 25 of 34, 215 yards. Threw a touchdown and a pick, but you know, completing you know over 73% of his passes, he was really understanding the offense. You know, quick throws, getting the ball out, making you know very accurate passer. Uh, you know, as a true freshman, I-, I thought he tried to do a little bit too much. 14 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, completed under 60% of his passes. And here's the thing: this is a guy. He's a football junkie. You know, he makes his own own binders, his own playbooks. You know, this guy eats, sleeps, and breathes football. Left modern day early so that he could roll early at, at SC. Comes to Georgia and he sits. You know, sits behind two quarterbacks. You know, Stetson Bennett. You know, struggled at times. You know, in there and ultimately, you know, he finally gets his chance for the last four games. 
And uh, what he does there at, at Georgia, you know, first game out, 28 to 38, 401 yards, four touchdowns. And, uh, you know, ends up finishing the year completing over 67% of his passes, over 1,200 yards, 10 touchdowns, two interceptions. And now Georgia, that, that's his team. You know, we're going to see him in the SEC taking on some of the top-level competition, top defenses, and that's really what we want to see from your quarterback is, you know, can he make all the plays? Um, you know, he's a kid, he's, again, very intelligent, you know, football-savvy guy, a guy who isn't afraid to, you know, to stand tall in the pocket and, and let it rip. Um, you know, Georgia, when you look at 2020 in those last four games of the season, they, they took on uh, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Missouri, and, and Cincinnati. Cincinnati was the one team that you looked at and said, okay, that's a team that, uh, you know, from a defensive standpoint, w- would be on par. And, okay, it's not some of the, the teams that, from a defensive standpoint, you know, Mississippi State, not a juggernaut. South Carolina, Missouri, not juggernauts either. Cincinnati, though, had a top-notch defense, and, and you saw that uh, JT Daniels what was more than up to the task taking them on. And this is a kid, he's got the got the arm strength. Um, I think, you know, he's another guy like Mac Jones, who the, the football IQ, understanding where to go with the football, the ball placement, being able to to hit his receivers in stride, um, you know, allowing them, you know, throwing them open, getting rid of the football and making plays before anybody's out of the out of their break that's one of the things you really want to see and i mentioned that cincinnati game completed over 68 percent of his passes 392 yards and a touchdown getting cincinnati you know 24 23 win in that bowl game i want to see what a full slate of games looks like for jt daniels in the sec i want to see him take on some elite defenses and i think that's really going to be the what's telling for me when i look at jt in terms of this this draft class, I think he's still one of those those guys. I think the upside is absolutely there, but there are some question marks. So I want to see what what he does out of the gate against Clemson in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. What can he do against that Clemson defense? I mean, that front four is is scary, and then you've got a secondary that is young, but man, they're good, led by by Andrew Booth. Um, you know, you've got Auburn there on on October 9th at Auburn. You know, Jordan-Hare Stadium, you know, what's that going to look like? You've got Florida October 30th in Jacksonville. That's going to be a, a game to watch as well. So, you know, there are some things when you look at Georgia, you know, and it's essentially if he makes it through all of that, then you're looking at Alabama and the SEC Championship. So, Georgia, there's a lot riding on this season for JT Daniels. If he's able to navigate that season – take on some of those top defenses and perform at a high level, then we could be looking at JT Daniels as one of those quarterbacks rising. But again, there's still too many question marks with him. And, you know, are we going to see a guy that, uh, you know, can, can really step up and elevate that game like we saw in 2020? So that's a big question mark for me. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. Now, look, JT Daniels, another guy who's going to be more of a pocket passer, not very mobile, uh, but... Look, when you look at Mac Jones and you look what he did, at least in that first game in, in preseason. Again, I know it's preseason, but still, Mac Jones showed that he belongs at the next level. I think you know guys like JT Daniels and, and Carson Strong as well, guys who are 
prototypical pocket passers, guys that aren't going to be breaking the pocket very often. Um, you know, I think it bodes well for them and their draft stock overall. Desmond Ritter, Cincinnati, 6'4", 215 pounds, a guy who in three straight seasons for the Bearcats, over 2,800 yards in total offense. Um, you know, a guy who, you know, just 20 interceptions in his career, uh, 57 touchdowns, threw over 6,900 yards, and uh, has rushed for over 1,800 yards and 22 touchdowns, including 12 this past season. 11 straight games with a touchdown. Threw three interceptions against uh, USF. The Bulls got to him there, but three the rest of the entire season. And you look at, at a couple of games against SMU, eight carries, 179 yards, three touchdowns, and then against Houston, 12 carries, 103 yards, and two touchdowns. Had only two 300-yard games as a freshman. Hasn't seen that again until you know 338 yards against UCF in 2020. So a guy that really wasn't asked to necessarily you know lead the team and throw for three 400 yards wasn't really asked to do that. Look, Carson Wentz when he was running the offense there for North Dakota State wasn't a guy that was putting up a lot of huge numbers, but a guy that just led his team to victory. You know, very steady there underneath center. Um, you know, look, he was responsible for four plus touchdowns in four straight games going into that UCF game that I mentioned. Um, but a guy, you know, he, he the ball jumps off his hands. You absolutely see that. Throws with good anticipation. Um, you know, a guy who, uh, again, is going to lead his receivers away from the defense, throwing them open, uh, putting the ball where only his receiver can get to it. You know, there was a, a play there against UCF. Uh, hit Jordan Jones on a, on a corner route, 34 yards, put the ball outside the numbers to the wide side, dropped the ball in. Um, but, it, you know, then, then he turns around and threw over the middle to his tight end near pick. So, you know, consistency is one of those big things for him and needing to cut down on some of the some of those mistakes. Uh, but you love to see him throwing, you know, far hash to the sideline. Uh, with velocity, putting the ball on a line, the athleticism, his ability. I mean, he jukes some guys in uh, the open field and is 6'4 and 215 pounds. Uh, you know, he, he's got some wiggle to him. I mean, that's pretty impressive. You see the patience in the pocket, his ability to go through his progressions, uh, you know, and then come back, you know, going left to right and coming back to his left and finding a, a wide open receiver at that point. Um, you know, had another throw uh, over 50 yards in the air. Um, you know, hit his receiver in, in stride. Um, again, putting the ball where only his receiver can make a play on the football. Um, you know, that's one of the things that I, I definitely you know look at with, the, with with Desmond Ritter is he can make those throws. You know, there was a, a wheel route to, to his running back. Uh, you know, who was I think lined up in the slot, put air under the ball and allowed him to run underneath the ball and, and make a catch in stride for a score. Um, Man, you know, there are times where you just look at Desmond Ritter and you're like, man, this guy, he, he's legit. He can play. The, the question is, is are we going to see that, you know, uh, consistently? You know, the deep ball accuracy. You know, are we going to see that that consistently? You know, are we going to see him uh, be patient and not try to force the football into a tight window? You know, you hear me saying that with a lot of these guys. They trust the arm strength a little bit too much. They try to fit the ball into tight a window and it gets them into trouble. Um, you know, or they're, they're rolling out. They try to trust their arm a little bit too much, and they'll throw late back across their body over the middle, and that's going to get him into trouble as well. Um, but again, you look at him. He's 215, 
when you look at his frame, he looks rather skinny, uh, you know, very lanky guy, uh, but still able, you know, with that pressure, able to spin away, uh, pretty athletic, you know, and look, Keaton Slovis, you know, another guy that you look at, he looks unassuming, but in that Pac-12 championship, he was able to shake Kayvon Thibodeau in the pocket, uh, you know, able to, to, to get off that rush, and not too many guys can get away from Kayvon Thibodeau, so, you know, a lot of these quarterbacks, they're tough. They're able to, you know, to, to stand tall in the pocket. Um, you know, with Desmond Ritter, I just want to see him be consistent as a passer. Um, in, in 2019, only completed 55% of his passes, and then rebounds in a big way in 2020. I want to see him continue to elevate his game. He's got his tight end back, Josh Wiley. Uh, he, he's got uh, Alec Pierce his go-to target that's his number one guy um, want to see him turn 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 it loose with with Alec Pierce you know a guy that you know he's gonna go up and get the football you know he's very much possession guy but but someone who I think has become a, a bit of a favorite target of Desmond Ritter as long as the kid can stay healthy he's gonna be one of those guys to to watch as well especially when we get into talking about the receivers but you know Michael Young Another talented wideout. Uh, so, so there are guys, Jordan Jones, as I, I mentioned previously, Trey Tucker. He's got the receivers. Jerome Ford's coming in as, as the, the running back now that, uh, that Jared Dokes is out um, and uh, has moved on. So the Bearcats, they, they're reloading at the, you know, on, on offense. Desmond Ritter at the helm being the captain of, the, of, of this team. You know, the consistency, that's really what it's going to be all about. You know, and a guy that, you know, this team is going to rely on down the stretch when you need a big play, this is the guy that you really want to see step up. Um, you know, and, and with Cincinnati, you know, they, they lost that, that bowl game to Georgia, as I, as I mentioned. And, and in that game, uh, you know, Desmond Ritter, you know, he's going up against a top-notch defense like Georgia. And uh, Ritter, you know, still he completed – just under 65% of his passes, threw for 206 yards and a couple of scores, um, but paid the price in the backfield, you know, and uh, you know got sacked a couple of times, and so that got him into trouble a little bit. But uh, end of the day, with 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 Desmond Ritter, I think he's proven himself against some of the top tier teams. You know, he's not just a group of five guy. He's somebody who belongs in that conversation. And um, another big year out of the, the Bearcats and Desmond Ritter being that guy, he just needs to shake the, the game manager. You know, he's an athlete. He's a guy that can play outside the pocket. He's a guy that can improvise a little bit. Um, but I think that game manager still, you know, he's not a guy that's going to go out there and win it with his arm. He might win it more so with his legs than his arm right now. I want to be able to see him step up and when you need to make that throw, if it's third and long, your game's on the line, what are we going to see out of, out of Desmond Ritter? And that's really going to be the key of the season, um, in my opinion. Um, that's really what you what you want to see. I mean, because look, you know, really, Cincinnati, they had that game. They had that game won. Going into the fourth quarter, they were up 21-10, and Georgia fired back and wound up uh, wound up winning that game. You know, three seconds left. You know, Jack Pudlesny kicks the field goal. They go up 22-21. Uh, Zizo Jolari gets the safety to, to end the game. You know, they end up winning 24-21. But again, Desmond Ritter, a guy that, that a lot of people in the mainstream media aren't really talking about. You know, they're, they're talking about a lot of the other guys. I look at Desmond Ritter, and I see a guy who he, he's got all the tools. 
and I wanted to see this kid elevate the game a little bit more. I like him more than Malik Willis, to be perfectly honest. You know, I'm not as high on Malik Willis as a lot of people are right now, and I hope that he comes out and you know, Malik Willis has a big year. You know, I just I don't know if, if we're going to see that happen. Then you move to Phil Dracovic there out of Boston College. You know, a lot of these guys, smaller guys or, or lanky guys, Phil Dracovic looks like Ben Roethlisberger out there. 6'5", 236 pounds. He was a big, you know, recruit for Notre Dame and then ends up transferring to, to BC in, in 2020. Um, you know, 61% completion percentage, over 2,500 yards, 17 touchdowns, just five interceptions. A guy who uh, you're going to see stand tall in the pocket. He's not afraid to take a big hit. He likes to go through his progressions. He can be very patient as a as a passer. Um, he's going to really survey the entire field and make sure that he's making those throws. Look, he's big, uh, able to elude defenders. I watched that Notre Dame game, eluding Dalen Hayes in the backfield, moving to his left, ends up throwing deep, uh, ends up hitting his receiver down the field. Uh, he's a guy that he's an interesting watch because he – looks tremendous uh, on on some occasions you know but not always you know and, and it sounds really weird you know when you say it like that but he, he really does you know, you'll watch him and he'll retreat he'll have a guy in his face and he's he's trying to to make a play you know, he's getting outside the pocket he'll re- retreat a little bit uh, extending that play and then he ends up completing a pass throwing the football down the field hitting his receiver in stride or throwing the ball where only his guy can make a play on it. Uh, loved Hunter Long. That was really a security blanket. And then Zay Flowers, a guy, a receiver that people are talking about, that people should be talking about in the ACC. Um, but here's the thing. You know, a lot of times you watch him throw a fade and there's just way too much air under the football. And you know defenses are able to recover and, and make a play on the football. Um, also threw a ball to the wide side, uh, 21 yards on a play uh, against Notre Dame, trajectory way too high, and the ball ended up being underthrown, and Jeremiah Usukoromoa was able to reach back and break up the football. You know, better throw when he probably completes the pass. Um, then he turns around, waits for the receiver running down the field, um, you know, down the middle of the field as he broke inside let go of the football, gets hit by Kyle Hamilton, um, ends up allowing the receiver to go up and make a play on the football, 40-yard gain. Um, but the accuracy, consistency, that's where you kind of worry a little bit with him. Uh, that Notre Dame game, 8-20, 171 yards and a touchdown, had you know a couple of big plays there, finishes the game 18-40, 272 yards, a touchdown, or, uh, two touchdowns and an interception. Um, you know, so he, he's somebody that you, you worry about because he, he forces the football, not always accurate, and um, you know, he gets himself into trouble because play action, this guy retreats. He just he starts backpedaling, and next thing you know, he's 10, 12 yards behind the line of scrimmage. You do that at the next level enough, and you're just, you're just going to take sack after sack after sack. He needs to stand tall in the pocket. He needs to be a guy that, you know, when he's escaping, instead of retreating, instead of fleeing and going backwards, you got to be able to step up in the pocket. You know, able to sidestep the rush. And if you are going to roll out, make sure that you're square to the line of scrimmage. You know, it's okay every once in a while to, to kind of retreat, but you know, if you're always throwing off your back foot, that's going to get you into trouble. And that's what happened time after time after time. I did like when he would make a lot of the throws under, underneath. 
good decisions because he was able to stand stand tall in the pocket and make a lot of those throws. When he was you know forced to hold on to the football longer, that's really where he started to struggle. Uh, but you love the velocity on on his throws, outbreaking routes, being able to put the ball on him. Uh, you know against North Carolina, had a receiver on on that outbreaking route, defensive lineman bearing down in his face, right hash to the left sideline, got the ball there on the line for a nine yard play. You know absolutely you know stellar there. Um, you know, takes he, he man, this guy takes big hits and he just bounces back up. You know, he, he takes the licking and, and keeps on ticking, man. Uh, you know, you watched him in that that North Carolina game. 45 seconds left, throws a slant to the receiver for a touchdown, uh, puts it on him as he cleared the the, the DB. Uh, you know, it puts him down just two 24-22, and then on on that two point conversion, he rolls right, forced out by Hopper. Throws it late across his body over the middle, as I had mentioned previously, and uh, you know Trey Morrison ends up picking it off, returns the P, you know the PAT for two points, and they wind up losing 26-22. You know instead of tying the football game up, uh, you know makes that that wild throw across his body, trying to do too much with the football, and ends up ends up losing, you know losing that game. Uh, Phil Dracovic to me, there, there's a lot there's a lot to like there, and I love what Jeff Halfley's doing there with BC. The question is going to be whether or not he can continue to make play after play after play consistently and cut down on the mistakes, cut down on the retreating, um, you know, cut down on some of the mechanical issues in the pocket. You got to set your feet and fire, step to your target and go, let it rip, uh, get yourself square to your target whenever possible. Um, so he's a guy that I think again, a guy that could move up in a lot of draft boards. Uh, or a guy that can end up find himself, finding himself floating around in uh, in day three land, and, and he's only a junior. You know, a lot of these guys uh, that we're talking about are underclassmen. They could come back for another season if they want to, and, and so that's really going to be the big thing. Who's going to step up and elevate their game, and who's not? And the guys, you know, if Phil Dracovic comes out and just has a so-so season for the Eagles, it would behoove him to come back and play out a senior season. Same thing with, with Keaton Slovis there at USC, although he's got Jackson Dart and, and Miller Moss uh, chomping at the bit to, to take over the program there. And Spencer Rattler, you know, he, he's another guy that uh, has some guys waiting in the wings. Um, you know, I think he and Sam Howell are the only two real givens that are that you're going to see them uh, move on. Uh, but it, it's interesting, you know, and... Carson Strong, going back to him before we, we get to number 10 on my list. Carson Strong, here's the difference between him and Josh Allen. What Josh Allen had uh, his uh, his sophomore season there at, at Wyoming, he had a lot of guys that were in NFL camps and actually played some NFL ball, from Brian Hill to, to Taylor Gentry, Jake Hollister, his tight end. So he had some guys there, and then they graduate and so his, his next season, he struggles to build rapport with his receivers. Carson Strong has his security blanket uh, in Romeo Dubs and then his big tight end you know, in Cole Turner coming back with him. These are guys that he roomed with since his freshman season. So he knows the guys very well. So we're going to see a guy you know, who's not going to struggle. You know, and I think it's easier because there's not going to be as much of that debate. Josh Allen, there was a lot of criticism with his game. And it was because, look, you know, you, you look at the guys that, that he lost, 
and he struggled to build some rapport with those guys. And that's really what you saw there. Were they really accuracy issues? Is it timing off? Really what's going on? You're playing a lot of guessing games there. Not so much with, with Carson Strong this year. Um, you know, so that's going to be one of the things I think that's going to be a difference between the two of them. Uh, you know, Josh Allen, it was kind of an unfair comparison when you watched him play. Um, you know, and, and I really fell into that trap too. You know, he was under 50% or under 60% completion. Um, ends up at the next level, throwing over 60%, um, and, and just balling out. Signed that big contract now. Um, so I, I think it'll be a much fairer uh, evaluation when you watch Carson Strong this year. Which leads me to number 10, and that's Brock Purdy right now. Iowa State, 6'1", 212, uh, the active leader uh, in the FBS, over 8,900 yards, 62 touchdowns, 25 interceptions. Look, he's limited athletically you know, in that arm as well. Um, you know, as a sophomore, 12 straight games with a touchdown until that loss to Notre Dame in the bowl game. Had seven games with an interception, though, so that's one of the things that concerns you. Uh, you know, Two games with three interceptions as a junior. Uh, you know, the games against Baylor and OU in the Big 12 championship. So uh, definitely the bigger games, he, he struggled, um, especially against some of the, the better defenses, guys that were putting pressure on him. Um, you know, but there are a lot of things to like. He's another guy. He's an intelligent guy. He's a, he's a gamer, uh, a guy who is going to throw his receivers open you know, whenever possible. He, you know, he does a really good job. He's got a couple of, of freakishly big tight ends in Charlie Kolar and, and Chase Allen coming back. Also has Xavier Hutchinson, who's over over 6'3", um, at receiver as well. Um, needs to make sure that he sees the entire field. Look off for, uh, you know, uh, uh, defensive back from time to time. Look off the safety. Don't stare down your receivers. Um, had that really terrible pick six where he just kind of threw the ball up to, to try to make a play. Um, you know, and I think he was trying to throw it away, but it was just ugly. Uh, he needs to be smarter, take care of the football, not try to do too much. Look, you got Brees Hall running the football. You've got you know a decent offensive line coming back, and you've got a lot of weapons there. You know, if you just take what the defense gives you and you know, just be a, a polished quarterback there and not do too much, understand who you are, and you know he's not going to be more than a game manager. He's going to be a day three guy. But I think he gets drafted because you know, this is a guy you know, who's been consistent there at, at uh, Iowa State. He's done a lot of really nice things with that program. Uh, but that said, he's got a lot of guys that are knocking on the door to potentially break through and be uh, considered in that top 10. One's going to be Kenny Pickett out of Pittsburgh. He's 6'2", 220 pounds. Um, he played in nine games last season. Uh, when you look at him, two straight years with 13 touchdowns and nine interceptions. Uh, you know, a guy who, um, you know, right around that 60% completion mark, you know, and, and so a guy who I think, you know, he's Pittsburgh tough, uh, a guy who I think can, can make a lot of plays, but he needs to cut down on, on the mistakes. Um, you know, a guy who I think can be a really solid game manager at the next level. Um, I, I think one of the X factors is going to be Caleb Ellaby out of uh, Western Michigan. You know, this is a guy playing in the MAC, another group of five guys, 6'1", 215 pounds, and really he put himself on the map in 2020. Uh, you know, didn't play in 2019. Uh, 2020, through the six games, man, over 64% of his passes completed, uh, 1,699 uh, yards, 18 touchdowns, and just two interceptions. So, you know, this is a guy, you know, when you talk about the, the interception percentage, you know, you're talking about a 1.3 versus the 1.12 for Carson Strong. But that said, uh, you know, you're still talking about a guy who made uh, made a lot of really good decisions 
Um, you know, a guy who I think he, he's strong in the pocket, um, mobile, you know, not much of a runner to this point in, in his career, but a guy who I think can get outside the pocket, can extend plays, uh, can be an improviser at times. He'll be a lot of fun to watch there. Minnesota's Tanner Morgan. He's 6'2", 215, another guy who's going to be a game manager. And really the question is, is which quarterback's going to show up? In 2019, Minnesota had that magical season. Completed 66% of his passes, over 3,200 yards, 30 touchdowns, did have those seven interceptions. Comes back in 2020, plays in seven games, under 60% completion percentage, just 1,374 yards, seven touchdowns, five interceptions. Looked like a completely different quarterback. Didn't look draftable in 2020. So again, for him, had to come back in 2021. And look, he doesn't have Rashad Bateman, but he does have some receivers led by uh, Chris Ottman-Bell. He's going to have to step up and show that, that he can be a, a guy if he even wants to get drafted. Um, and really, if he doesn't have a big year, then P.J. Fleck and, and the Golden Gophers are going to struggle in, in Big Ten play. UCS Dylan Gabriel, you know, uh, you know, we're gonna the next two quarterbacks we're gonna talk about are, are the, the the diminutive quarterbacks of sorts. D- Dylan Gabriel, they, they say he's six foot. I don't buy it. I think he's under six foot, 186 pounds. You know, a guy who took over for Mackenzie Milton. Um, you know, was battling obviously that knee injury, gruesome injury. Now he's back at you know, he's at Florida State, and uh, you know, all you know, I, I hope that he uh, has a has a big year there for for the Seminoles. Um, when you look at, at, at Dylan Gabriel, you know he's a junior, um, right around 60% completion percentage, um, 61 touchdowns, just 11 interceptions. Little guy, but has a strong arm. A guy that, that moves really well in the pocket. A guy that doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. Um, you know UCF, it's going to be interesting. You don't have uh, you know Josh Heupel there leading the leading the show and leading the charge for that that offense. So that's going to be one of the question marks that you're going to see. You know, what are you going to see out of him? Are you going to see um, the same playmaker uh, that, that you've seen running that offense? You know, And that's really going to be a big question mark for me. I'm not sure really what we're going to see out of Dylan Gabriel this year. Uh, yeah, it's going to, it's going to be interesting. I, I'm going to be curious to see exactly what we, what we do see from him. But look, uh, you know, 2020, um, the 3,570 passing yards, ranked fifth in the FBS, uh, 32 touchdown passes to four interceptions. Like I said, um, you know, 35 completion you know, pass completions uh, of 20 yards or more beyond the line of scrimmage. So when you think of that, that, that those are things that definitely jump off the page. Um, Gus Malzahn, you're not going to run the same offense that Josh Heupel is. Um, you know, that's a different offense for Dylan Gabriel, but I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. Uh, De'Ara King was having a phenomenal year there for Miami uh, after he transferred after four seasons with Houston, taking advantage of uh, really that COVID year and able to come back for one more season with Miami. Um, over 64% of his passes completed, 2,686 yards, 23 touchdowns, five interceptions, uh, for the Canes through uh, you know 11 games, also have 538 yards and four touchdowns on the ground. This is a guy who can be a playmaker, a guy who has tremendous speed, very elusive on the outside as well. Um, from an arm strength, I think he's limited athletically. He really has to put his entire body into a lot of the throws. I, I question whether or not De'Ara King is going to be draftable at the quarterback position, but you watch him, he looks like an athlete, a guy that you know you just want to 
run you know, run some packages for him um, because he is explosive. Want to see though if that if he can rebound from that knee. Then you have Tyler Shaw out of uh, formerly Oregon, now Texas Tech, 6'5", 221 pounds at Oregon. You know, was the guy or was supposed to take over there for the Ducks? Plays in all, you know, in seven of the games. Uh, 63.5% of his passes completed, over 1,500 yards, 13 touchdowns, six interceptions. But Anthony Brown, you know, the transfer coming in from BC, ends up taking over the starting job from Tyler. Decides he's going to go ahead and transfer to Texas Tech, running Matt Wells's offense. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what that looks like. You know, Alex Bowman moved on as well. Um, in the portal, so you've got Tyler Shaw showing up at, at Texas Tech. Um, you know, I think he's going to have a big year um, running that offense. Um, but consistency again, you know, there's a reason why he's no longer at Oregon, you know, and why he's at, at Texas Tech. And, and a lot of it comes down to to consistency. But you know, if you're looking to you know, throw the football, you know, you're coming to the right place. You know, with Texas Tech, you know, you're you're going to throw the football. A, a, a ton and uh you know when you're looking at alan bowman um you know 18.8 completions per game uh this past season so you know you're going to be throwing the football quite a bit and in big 12 play they love to throw the football as it is he does have a running back in sir Roderick thompson um who i think is going to make some plays he's got some receivers that uh are going to help him out as well uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, but again, consistency is going to be huge for him there at Texas Tech. And look, you know, the good thing for him is he's only going to be a junior, so he can always decide to come back for a senior season. Which, you know, looking at this draft class and looking where he's at, it might be the best thing for him, unless he completely balls out and has an insane year. And then there's Kent State's uh, Dustin Crum, really the kind of the the dark horse in this group. He's six three, two oh seven. A guy who has really put the golden flashes on the map, um, and that's really one of the things that I, I think is is super exciting uh, when you watch the Mac. You know, you're talking about Caleb Ellaby, you're talking about uh, you know Dustin Crum, and when you look at at Crum, you know six three two oh seven doesn't look like the biggest guy in the world, but man, that offense forty nine point eight you know points per game, total offense six hundred six yards. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous, you know, the, the points that this team was putting up. Sean Lewis really has something going there at Kent State. And with Dustin Crum, look, they only played in four games, but he still completed over 73% of his passes, um, over 1,100 yards, 12 touchdowns, just two interceptions. Look, in four seasons there for the Golden Flashes, just six interceptions, threw 35 touchdowns, um, completes 68.7% of his passes, arm strength, you know, leaves a little bit to be desired. You know, I think this is a guy who, um, you know, he's an athlete, you know, a guy that's going to make plays with his legs just as much as, as with his arm. Over 1,300 yards on the ground, 12 touchdowns. This is a guy who I think is going to end up making a roster. Will he get drafted? You know, right now, I, I don't know that, uh, you know that he will, but a guy who I think is going to end up making, you know, getting to a camp, and showing that he can make plays both with his arm and his legs. And, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, has he improved some of that arm strength? Can he really push the football down the field uh, consistently and accurately? You know, a lot of the intermediate and short routes really on the money, but can he elevate his game in 2021? That's really what I'm looking forward to seeing out of Dustin Crum. So those are the quarterbacks I'm gonna be watching out for in 2021 during the college football season. 
I'm looking forward to it. You know, I think, again, Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell, those are going to be your number one and number two quarterbacks. I firmly believe that. Number three, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Carson Strong? Is it going to be just like Zach Wilson, elevating his game even further? Over 70% completion percentage. People are, you know, there's high expectations. That pocket passer, he's going to have to go to the right situation, the right team uh, to really make that fit. Because a lot of teams are looking for guys that can can improvise, can get outside the pocket. The, the athletes, he's a true pocket passer. But in the right situation, I think he could really shine. And, uh, you know, Matt Corral, another wild card. Can Lane Kiffin help him cut down on those mistakes? Some of those games, it's just really just an eyesore and that thorn that you're just, uh, do, I, do I really, is that really, you know, what I want to deal with there? Uh, but I think Matt Corral has a lot of skills, a guy who could potentially be that number three quarterback in this year's draft class. And then you obviously have uh, Malik Willis that everybody loves there at Liberty. Um, he and Hugh Freeze really flying high. Um, I'm curious to see what he can do, how he can elevate his game uh, coming into 2021. Can he be a more accurate passer? I think that's going to be one of the, the biggest things. Can he be consistent? Because we know what he can do with his legs. I just want to see what he can do with the arm, um, you know, especially if he's pushing the football down the field. You know, when you look at their, you know, when you look, look at who he's playing this season, um, they start off with Campbell, uh, you know, Troy, and Old Dominion. You know, he does get Syracuse on September 24th. Uh, you know, UAB, Middle Tennessee, uh, ULM, North Texas, UMass. Uh, you know, finishes the game out, or the season out with Ole Miss, Louisiana, and Army. So yeah, I'm looking at him. He's got Josh Mack in the backfield. He's got some really good receivers. Returning all five of the starters on his offensive line. Liberty should have a big year. They should be winning a ton of games. But I want to see if Malik Willis can elevate his game. That's going to be the biggest thing. And that game against Ole Miss, it's going to be a showdown between him and Matt Corral. Guaranteed you're going to have a ton of scouts at that game. It's going to be in Oxford. And so it's going to be a fun game to watch. That's going to be one of the showcase games for me from a quarterback standpoint. I mean, you, you know, you had you know, great uh, Grayson McCall taking on Zach Wilson uh, last season. And, and look, Grayson McCall, I, I didn't talk about him. And look, he was a freshman there at Coastal Carolina, the Chanticleers, and he ran an offense. That's interesting, you know, that, that, that spread option, you know, running mostly a 21 personnel, although they did throw some 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 12 personnel in there as well. Uh, a lot of RPOs, which is what you see at the next level. Um, a big season out of Grayson McCall. There's one other name for you. Chanticleers, again, in 2020, you know, he balled out against BYU, and that's really what you wanted to see out of him was can he elevate his game against some tougher competition? Chanticleers, um, you know, I, I want to see him continue to develop. He's got some some weapons. He's got uh, he's got highly the receiver. He's got likely the tight end, um, and so he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. That's one other name to be on the lookout for. Um, you know, had the one season as a freshman and, uh, you know, incredibly accurate through just four interceptions uh, on the year. He's another guy to, to really be on the lookout for as well. Keaton Slovis, what are we going to get out of him? Is he going to be uh, 2019 Keaton Slovis? You know, is Grant, uh, Graham Harrell going to allow him to take what the defense gives him and, and start attacking the middle of those, those zone defenses? 
Um, Desmond Ritter, are we going to really see him elevate his game that takes Cincinnati to the next level? Phil Dracovic, are you going to play consistently? What are we going to see there? Can JT Daniels play against you know, some superior competition there in, in the SEC. You know, he, he did really well playing against some of the inferior competition. So that's really what you want to see there is, is can he put together a big year there for Georgia? If so, then Georgia's right there in the thick of things for the national title. And you're talking about JT Daniels as one of the top quarterbacks um, for the draft. And then you get into the, the rest of the group. Um, you know, I think Brock Purdy, T- uh, Tanner Morgan, really your your game managers, Kenny Pickett as well, Dylan Gabriel, uh, Derek King are the shorter quarterbacks, but but guys that can be dynamic. Um, Tyler Shaw, you know, he, he's a guy that just he needs to get his confidence back. And then Dustin Crum, he's kind of the dark horse. He's he's one of those athletic guys, a guy that likes to get outside the pocket, beat you with his legs. And then Caleb Ellaby. Another dark horse there in the Mac. Mac's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, but Caleb Ellaby, can he really build upon what he did there for the Broncos at Western Michigan? You know, that's kind of my recap. That's really going to be what I'm watching for week one, just a few weeks away. So, again, going to have to get you ready. So, we'll be jumping into the running backs here in the next couple of days. Brees Hall, Isaiah Spiller, those are two names to get to know. Either of them going to be drafted in the first round, like Najee Harris. Are we going to see them fall into into day two? There'll be a lot to talk about at the running back position. Then we'll get into the receivers after that. We'll talk about Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, um, and everybody else from Justin Ross to uh, Traylon Burks, Drake Jackson, or Drake. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Drake London there for USC. A lot of talented receivers. Is this draft class on the same on par with the last couple of receiver classes? We'll talk about that. I don't think so, but we do have a tight end class that, uh, when you look at the depth of the tight ends, you, know, you can go 10, 12 deep at that position. There are a lot of lots of like there. Then the offensive line. When we're talking, you know, we finish out the offense there here in the next couple of podcasts. That offensive line. Not going to be a, a Panay Sewell or Rashawn Slater at the top of the draft. A lot of guy, a lot of young guys with a ton of potential. Um, you, know, you do have Evan Neal, kind of that freakish athlete. Uh, reminds me a little bit of, of Tristan Wirfs in terms of the athleticism for, for a guy his size. I mean, he's actually cutting down from 360 to 348. Uh, doing some box jumps. I mean, if, if you haven't seen it already, go online. I mean, this, this guy's an absolute freak. Um, so he, he's a guy that uh, you want to see. He's making the transition from right tackle to left. What's he going to be able to do there? You have you know, Tyler Linderbaum at, at center uh, for Iowa. He's going to be fun to watch. And then you've got Ike McGuonu, um and uh, you know Ken Green. Uh, at NC State and, and Texas A&M, respectively. They're both going to be playing tackle this season, but I think they're both uh, projected as guards at the next level. So we're going to have quite a bit to talk about over the next few days. Then we'll transition to the defensive side. We'll talk about that defensive end or, and the edge rushers. A lot of guys to like there on the defensive side of the ball. A lot of guys at the defensive tackle position um, that I like as well. I think D-tackle was a position last year that really struggled from a depth perspective. We're going to see much more depth this year. And then we'll get into the secondary, and we'll talk about Kyle Hamilton. We'll talk about Derek Stingley. 
We'll take a look at the linebackers as well. So we've got a lot to cover over the next few weeks, getting you ready for the college football season. I'm amped. I'm looking forward to it. So uh, let's go ahead and put this podcast to a rest. We'll go ahead and do it all over again here in, in a couple of days. But until then, for readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Take care, everyone. Enjoy your weekend. And I am out of here.